0: I want to talk to you tonight about how to be a good witness for God. And I want us to begin, we'll be in Genesis in a moment, but look with me, if you will, real quickly. In the book of Acts, you know the verse, but in Acts chapter 1, it's the last thing that Jesus said to his followers before he ascended back into heaven. In Acts chapter eight, uh, chapter 1, in verse number 8, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witness to me to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it, you know, if you took a map and looked at what Jesus said, like, he starts out, he said, You're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, that's where they were. And then he stretched it out a little bit and he said, Judea. And Samaria, and that circle just keeps getting larger and larger, and unto the ends of the earth. And that's why we do what we do, not only here, but beyond. And then in verse 9, it said, when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, I'll not go on and read the remainder of this, but the but the point is this, like, this is what jesus told all of his followers to do and to be is to be witnesses and where we are and the next level and the next and then under the uttermost parts of the world now here's here's the truth of it if you are a christian and i do hope you are if not i pray you will be but be that as it may if you're a christian you are a witness Each one of us is a witness. You say, no, I'm not. That's not an area. I'm very good. I'm good at doing other things. I'm not good at this. Now, wait a minute. Now, think about it. You are a witness. You're either a good witness or a bad witness. But you can't crawfish out of this, nor can I. You know, someone says, well, I don't have the gift to be a witness. I have a gift to do this, or God's given me a gift to do that, or whatever it may be. Well, the fact of the matter is, every believer is a witness. And we do it in one of two ways. We do it as we talk about God and tell people about God. So you do it, I'd say it this way, we do it talking. And then the other way would be, using a Bible term, We do it walking. Remember in in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, the word walk pictures the, the everyday life that we live. It's our walk in life. It's our everyday Christian life. So your life is a witness, good or bad. My life is a witness, good or bad. And then we have opportunities that we, with our words, can share about God. And you know, you just have to discern kind of where to start and where to stop. As we would come into church tonight, uh, we have a neighbor that does not go to church, uh, but nonetheless uh, has, is a very fine neighbor, a very fine person. And uh, we've mentioned the church, and they just let me know that that's, you know, they respect the fact of what I do, but that's just not what they do, and yet, they didn't say in an ugly way at all, but be that as it may, uh, he has come down with a serious, serious throat cancer, and throat cancer is not a cancer you'd want to, to have, and the treatment for that is very is very difficult, and he's right in the middle of it, but tonight coming, we, we called to see how he was doing, and he said, we gave him those verses that Dottie had prayed that we've given out some weeks ago, and he was, he was saying how much those verses was meaning to him, and, you know, we care about him. He's just a wonderful person, but, like, we just have to kind of walk along where he is in the journey, and, uh, you know, so there's a... One way to be a witness, another way to be a witness, and it's not always easy to know, should I say more or should I back off and not say quite as much? But be that as it may, uh, we're going to talk about that tonight. Now, in the book of Genesis in chapter 39, one of the best examples of a witness for God in the Bible is Joseph. Is Joseph. And I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon, and I've heard a lot of sermons, uh, preached on Joseph as a witness. Now, we hereby be an example, but he was a witness for God. Now, we'll have to use some of our, well, I want to say sanctified imagination on a thing or two tonight, but not exactly. Because I'll show you somewhere in the Bible that would make me believe something I'll say a little bit later. I, I may be on to something, but somehow uh, maybe you can figure it out as well. But I want us to think first of all tonight in Genesis chapter 39, talk about there are ways to be a good witness for God at work. At work. And that's always a, a difficult place. In fact, I had a text day before yesterday from a member of our church that said in the text he was fired from his work because he talked to other employees about God Uh, we had a person tell Dottie and myself in the last very few days they live elsewhere that he has a secular job but as people would call in he has a job that kind of handles problems people have that deal with his company and his job's to try to work that all out and he said i've been doing this for years and he said i i may get in trouble but i most of most calls i say at the end of it would you mind if we had prayer and he said i'm amazed the response is always good and so in, a, in that way, that person's being a good witness. Well, in his work, Joseph was being a good witness. Now, uh, look with me in Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 and 2. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard of the Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now, look in verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, okay? And he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Okay. Now look in verse 3. It's very, very interesting. And his master, okay, now his master, uh, his master was an Egyptian. He certainly did not believe in the true God. But he, he, look what verse 3 says. He saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand so what do we as you just look at those verses you think to yourself now somehow Potiphar uh, figured out that somehow God had something to do with his success I mean in verse number three it says the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man And and in verse three it says his master saw that the Lord was with him now in verse three as I've read that and thought about that, I wonder, like, now, like, now he's an Egyptian, he doesn't believe in the true God, but somehow he sees this connection, and I thought, well now, how would he figure this thing out? Did he just translate because Joseph was successful, that it had something to do with God, uh, and therefore it made him successful? The, the question is, how did he know God had anything to do with his success? Well, here's, here's my take on that. Somehow, somehow, and I'll back it up here in just a moment. Somehow, Joseph, whether it was in a conversation or whatever it was, somehow there had been words from Joseph to Potiphar about God, or else he never would have assumed that his success had any real Thing to do with God. Maybe they just had a conversation. Who, who knows about that? But at some point, Joseph, had, I do believe he talked about it. Now let me show you why I believe that. Turn over to chapter 41. If you come over in chapter 41, you know in chapter 40, you have him in prison and these uh, the the baker and the butler have these dreams. We won't have time to go back and read this whole chapter. And they didn't know what the dreams meant. And, and you remember Joseph interpreted those dreams well when you come to chapter 41 uh you know of course what what winds up happening uh, uh, the baker you know he, he 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 gets killed just like joseph had said his dream told but the chief butler uh he was restored back to his position and that's kind of what chapter 41 is dealing with but in chapter 41 pharaoh begins to have dreams and so he calls in all of his wise men. If you look down in verse 8, it says it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. Pharaoh's having all these dreams and he doesn't know what they mean. Do you ever have dreams? I mean, I want to ask you to raise your hand. I, I, in, the last, in the last end of last week, I've been telling some of the staff I've been having the weirdest dreams. And I've, I've told him to die in She says she doesn't know what they mean. They don't make sense. Do you ever have dreams and you just say they don't make sense? Well, I see you're not interested in that, but that's all right. If you just knew, I'd have to tell you what, well, no, I won't. One of my dreams, one of my dreams, in fact, I had something to do with one of our staff members, and I've told him, I wanted to tell him, it was really kind of a funny dream in a way. But in verse 8, uh, he's having his dreams, he's troubled, so he's sent and called his magicians of Egypt and all the wise men, and he told them his dreams, and, but here's a problem. Verse 8 says there was none who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Now look in verse 9. Then the chief butler speaks up. Now remember he and the baker were over here in prison when Joseph interpreted their dreams. He spoke up to Pharaoh saying, wait a minute. I remember I remember my faults this day when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream. In one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, there was a young man. Now, now this, this is a chief butler talking to Pharaoh. He said, now, listen, there was a young man. He was a Hebrew with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us to each man he interpreted according to his own dream. Well, it came to pass just he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought Joseph quickly out of the dungeon. So they get him out of jail, shaved him, put him on some clean clothes, and he came to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. Now watch verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So here in chapter 41, he says something to Pharaoh about God. And I just am going to speculate if we go back over here in chapter 39 and we ask ourselves how did, how did Pharaoh uh, and how did, how did he conclude that all of Joseph's success had anything to do with God? We don't have it in the scripture, but just like he shared over in chapter 41 about God, I think back over here, he said something about God. And to me, that's very, very encouraging. Now, uh, here's the bottom line. There's a right way and a wrong way at work to be a witness, like on the job. There really is a right way and a wrong way. Like when people are hired, they're hired to do a job. They have a job to do. And, and uh, you know, they're not there to be a, an evangelist from the church. But if they're Christian, they're on the job. And, you know, you say, well, how, how can we as Christian people on our job uh, be a good witness? Well, someone might say, well, if we'll be likable and lovable. Well, you know, you can be likable and lovable and not be a Christian. You, you don't have to be a Christian to be likable or lovable. I mean, you can be a kind and very good person and not be a Christian. But I'll tell you the best way I think to be a good witness. Now, certainly, if a door opens and we feel like we can say something or maybe we give someone or one of these booklets John's written or whatever and say, you know, I, I know you're going through such and such and uh, I read something that I got at my church that I think might be a help to you, it helped help me. Well, that, that's, a, that's a non-threatening kind of situation. But, but I think day in and day out, the best way on the job to be a Christian is to be a hard working employee. That's it. In fact, if Christians would do what they should do, even what the Bible says, and be the kind of workers, like men and women who come to work on time, they do their job, they're men and women of integrity. I think the owner of the company, if he found out, hey, that guy over there is a Christian, and boy, look what kind of worker he is or what kind of worker she is. We need to hire more of these Christian people if all of them are like that. Now, let me give you a Bible verse to jot down, and you can read it later. In the book of Colossians, in the book of Colossians, in chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are all working for the Lord rather than for people. I love that translation. It's beautiful. So, you know, you have a job. Well, sure, you have to do what you are hired to do. Well, we need to do it the best we can, be faithful, uh, go by the rules, just do the right thing and don't see it that we're working for this company or that company, we're working for God. And if we please him in our work, mankind will be pleased. You know, like I think, like in my own case, like I really, I really work for God. Now, I'm assigned at First Baptist Pasadena. Now, I'm accountable to the church and all understand that. But, like, the church can fire me. I'm still a minister. The, 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 ch- uh, no church called me to be a minister or no church called any minister to be a minister. God calls people to be ministers. And then God uh, leads people and all these kind of things work out. And, and certainly we are accountable and responsible, but, like, you know, I I feel this way. I probably could please you and do less than I can please God and do less. Could I have an amen to that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, you don't even know what I do half the time. You say, I've been thinking about that. Like have you ever thought, what does John do all day? I mean, I'm carrying the load. I'm doing most of the work. I mean, what does this guy do? You know, well, of course, you know, I'm playing there a little bit, but but like, you know, I mean, a minister, you, you know, and I say this to the staff, you know, uh, I, I've, I've noticed sometimes I can just walk into the church office. It's amazing. Everybody rushes to their desks where they're supposed to be in to start with. You know, I thought about in fact I mentioned it in a meeting yesterday, tongue in cheek. I said, Rick, is there some way we could run a wire up through the ceiling and all the you know, and just every now and then have a voice come out and say, This is God and I'm watching. God. Well, let me tell you something, folks. God is watching. And God knows what I do, God knows what I don't do, God knows when I've prepared my best, God knows when I'm praying like I should pray. I mean, God knows all that. So if I will live striving to please God, I don't think there'd be a church on earth that wouldn't be pleased to have a minister like that. Could I have an amen to that? Well, it's that way in any kind of job. You know, I, I, was, I didn't start out being a pastor. I, I was in the, as, as people, people say, you used to be in the real world. I don't know what kind of world they think I'm in now. But the, yeah, I used to be in the real world. But I'm going to tell you something. I work just as hard in the real world, as they call it, as I do here. And my goal, and I encourage it to be your goal, whatever your work, if you still have a job, listen, you work to please the Lord. And think of it that way. Nothing is a worse witness than a careless, lazy, sloppy, negligent, employee that's a christian i mean really so actually out in this real world where many people out there have jobs that don't go to church but if you're a christian you may be the only gospel they see how it lives life out well let's move on there, there are ways to be a good witness for god when facing temptations now in chapter thirty-nine, it's a it's an interesting story, but we don't have time to read all this. But you know, you know what happened. If you like to see like about verse, chapter thirty-nine, you go down to about to, about verse number four, and you keep reading on this chapter, and, and what happens is 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 Potiphar's wife kind of uh, gets attracted to Joseph. The Bible tells us he was a very fine-looking young man, and, and uh, so she decides that she wanted to have a relationship with him. In fact, if you look in, uh, well, let's look maybe, uh, well, if you, well, let's just pick up verse 4 and read a little bit. Joseph found favor in his sight, and he served him. Uh, talk about his master. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under. Verse five. So it was from time to time that he made him overseer of his house and all he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife Cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said to him, come lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in this house. He's committed everything to me in my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. Uh, How then can I do this great wickedness? Now, if you underline... Uh, underline these next words, and sin against God. And, of course, this thing goes on, and finally she keeps trying to get him to uh, have a relationship with her, and he won't, and he begins to go out, and she grabs his coat. And of course, that's all how he got into prison. Now, that's that's an interesting thing, but the, the, fact, the fact of the matter is it's in verse 9 is how he had, he had he was a good witness facing temptation he he saw this as a sin against God now this is key what I want us to think about just a moment that is the only thing that will keep a person from falling into any sin of temptation is that their their love for God listen carefully whatever the temptation may be whether it's stealing money Whether it's whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be a moral matter like this. It can be anything. Temptations come in all shapes, sizes. But the key is our love for God must be greater than the temptation. Less in many instances out there somewhere temptation wins. And that is not a good thing. Now now there are other things. That keep people from falling into some temptations. One is uh, they, they think it's unlikely they'll be found out. I, I'm convinced many people, the thing that keeps them from doing what would be contrary to what the Word of God teaches, and let's and don't just zero in on this one sin, I mean, there are many sin, is they think, well, you know, nobody ever knows. No, well, God knows. And here's the deal. If, if that's the motivation, and then there are other people that the way they deal with temptation is they say, you know, I can't do that because in my position, I would be found out. and Like real high-profile people, and we watch them fall like flies, have we not, in the last <laughs> year? I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's probably no different. We just have more TV covering it, you know. Like many of us remember when there was not even television. Yeah. And then, then we remember we had maybe three stations. Well, now you've got 24-7 news and, and you, wherever any public person goes, they're out there. And, of course, we don't ever always know what we're seeing, whether that's right or wrong or whatever. But the fact of the matter is a lot of, of high-profile people say, you know, I'm not going to give in to that temptation because in my position it would be the destruction of me. Well, that's not the best motivation because even people that live a long time defeating temptation with that motivation, so many times they fall. The only sure proof thing is this, and we see it in Jody our love for God must be greater than any temptation we ever face and so i just encourage you you know we all face temptations to do various things and our temptation to be to give up uh here's my conviction no one is exempt from temptation nobody don't ever believe you're exempt from temptation you're satan's next target and not only that um uh, if, if we don't have our love for God greater than temptation, uh, at some point we well might give in. Number three, there are good ways to be a good witness for God when falsely accused. Now that takes us back to this story that we were reading here a moment ago and read part of the story. Uh, and he, Joseph's a good example. Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. She, she, she screamed out and said, This Hebrew that you brought in here... Uh, You bought him as a slave, and you gave him this high position. He tried to rape me. And, uh, of course, you know, poor Joseph, uh, the evidence was stacked against him. He was a foreigner. (laughs) Uh, He was a slave. There was no witness except Potiphar's wife, and she wasn't going to tell the truth. She didn't tell the truth. Nobody would believe him. But let's look down in verse 20 and kind of pick up the story, because here's something very, very good, very important. Then Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Now watch this. We've seen this before. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed in Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison, wherever they did. It was his doing. And the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, he did he, the Lord made it prosper. Now, you know, you can read that story ten times. And what's there's something not in that story that's very important. Like, he was falsely accused of doing something he did not do. And he goes to prison for it. And the whole time he's in prison, as you read this whole story about his prison time, and, you know, how long was he in prison? Well, a lot of speculation about that. Most Bible scholars, they have ways of dating around, and I've looked into, you know, probably seven to nine years. All we know is after the baker and butler got out of prison— he was in prison two more years. Now we know that from the text. But the question is, how long was he in prison altogether? Well, probably somewhere like seven, eight, or nine years. Okay. But in that whole account, as you read the Joseph story, here's, here's the big deal. Not one single time, not one single time did he ever try to justify himself. Not one time did he ever defend himself, and there's a great lesson to that. Now look, most of us have had things said about us that weren't really true. I wouldn't think there's anybody in the room that hadn't been through that. In life, things get told that just are not true. Now, you ought to remember what I'm about to tell you because, well, first of all, we see it in the life of Joseph, but I've watched this through the years and I believe it'll be 100 minutes true. Never defend yourself. Two reasons. Number one, you lose every time. You lose every time. But there's a bigger reason that's God's business. You let God do it. See, if, if we start trying to defend ourselves, Joseph not one time tried to defend himself. You let God do it. You're a child of God. If someone falsely accuses you, it hurts God the Father. If someone falsely accuses Joel or John, well, who does it hurt most? I can tell you exactly who it hurts most. The parent. Isn't that right? You'd rather somebody falsely accuse you than your kids. Wouldn't you agree with that? Well, look, we're God's child. And we need to understand something. If someone falsely accuses you, and you say, "I'm going to, I'm going to do my defense. I'm going to present my side," now, well, most all the time you you, <laughs> you come out in worse shape than you were to start with. Look, if if you're innocent and you're a child of God, let God take care of it. You just step back, and God will take care of you. I was, you know, I was thinking of that. I said. Is an illustration I could use where I've been falsely accused of something in this church? I, I thought, way back. Y- I remember years ago, I've never told this, but years ago, one year we, be- we were between ministers of music. And this happened twice. In one of those years, many of you remember, Doyle Alexander, who was a member of our church, and Doyle had a great music ability. And Dahl agreed he would do the singing Christmas tree. Well, the next time we got between ministers and music, Doll just said to me, look, I, I, did, the, I did my best, but I, but I can't do that again. I, it's not that I don't want to. It's just I can't. I can't. Well, we didn't have the singing Christmas tree, and, and word got out. Would you all like to hear this? That, that I had sold the Christmas tree. They said, the reason we're not gonna do the tree is the pastor sold the tree. Now, they never did say I pocketed the money. I don't know why they didn't go and say that. And I remember, I think it, I think it was Dottie, and she you know, had she, heard that rumor. She said, you might need to respond to that. I said, oh, no. I said, because we'll get the old tree back up one year. And I guess those folks gonna think I went out there and found who I sold it to and bought the thing back. Well, they looked like idiots when we had the tree. I couldn't wait for the tree to go back up next time. But now, if I'd have been all over the church trying to tell everybody, "Hey, I don't know if you've heard it or not, but I didn't sell the same tree." Look, that's a silly illustration. Uh, but I tell you what, you know, you ought to write a Bible verse down. Romans chapter twelve, verse nineteen. This is serious business. You know, first of all, I want to encourage you, as I encourage myself, we shouldn't be accusing anybody of anything. No. Because, number one, we're not God. We don't know the whole story. As Christians, I mean, that gets to be gossip in a hurry. And Christians are good at that. But we shouldn't do that. But here's a verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Do not avenge yourselves. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I love the way the New Living Translation says, says, never take revenge, leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, God says, I will take revenge. I'll pay them back, says the Lord. <laughs> Look, you're a child of God. You just get out and do what's right. and People can say whatever they want to say. It's not your job. You don't have to have that pressure. And it's just like a mountain lifted. God knows the truth. And people that do that kind of stuff... Uh, it's so sad. Well, now, you know, as I think about being a good witness, there are so many Christians that, that uh, and some teach that our best witness is the life we live. Well, let me tell you something. If that's the only witness you and I have, then our witness is a witness of ourselves. If we think we're going to be a witness and never say anything about God and never tell what God's done in our life, Tell how our life's different since we became a Christian and before we were Christian. Tell about the blood of Jesus. Tell about how people go to heaven. But we say, no, I'm just gonna live a, I'm just gonna live this godly life. Well, however godly life you live, if that is your only witness, your witness is just how good you are and how godly you live. There's more, there's more to it than that. And so here's what I think about that. If you're not trying to live a godly life, now not a perfect life, but if you're not trying to live a godly life, then when you verbally try to witness for God, you don't have any credibility. So it's essential that we live godly lives. And as we go through life uh, and we get out here and things happen and we're not always treated fairly and we're trying to do something in a business and we act ugly and, you know, they mess up our clothes at the dry cleaners and we go in and bless them out, tell them they're just the sorriest bunch of people ever lived, and then say, now, by the way, while I'm here, I want to invite you to my church. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you what, they're not coming to your church or to my church. So how we live out here is essential that we need to ask God every day. God, may the Holy Spirit today help me in all of my uh, interactions today, God, that my words would be words of encouragement and help, and if even if things are not fair, that even though I'm going to try to resolve it, I'm not going to be a wimp about it, but I want to be a Christian, and if we live that kind of life day after day, and then the door opens to be a witness, then people will listen to what we have to say.